Hey everyone, welcome to the 7investing.com podcast. Our mission at 7investing is to empower you to invest in your future. We do that by providing a ton of free educational content like this podcast and by offering a monthly subscription service where our team of advisors provides our seven best ideas in the stock market each month for just $17. Today is a pretty exciting episode and conversation for me personally. And we did a little poll on Twitter. Uh, I said I was on the edge of my seat and we had a couple exact guesses of the people that I was going to be talking to. Really excited to it, introduce. It wasn't that uh, from that clue. <laughs> I, some people were giving us way too much credit. They were they were saying I was we were going to talk to Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. They were saying we were going to talk to Arthur Bergman and Joshua Bixby. But we had to settle for you two. Uh, you were, you were. <laughs> no, I told Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, no, we had, uh, we were booked. So yeah, without further ado, we've got Peter Offringa, uh, softwarestackinvesting.com. He is at Stack Investing on Twitter. And we've got Muji, who is, and Muji, I want you to tell this story, how you settled on this name. You are at Hypergrowth. Hypergrowth. With three, with three H's, uh, Y-P-E-R, growth.com, and at Hypergrowth on Twitter. Peter, if you could just spend a few minutes introducing yourself and a little bit about your professional and technical background, and then towards the end of that, just what inspired you to get started investing in the first place? Sure. So, hi, everybody. Happy to be here. I'm uh, Peter Ofringa, and I'm the uh, author and primary uh, contributor to Software Stack Investing. Uh, but in terms of background, um, let's see, I got started in college in computer science. Um, and after that, I've worked for a number of years um, leading software engineering uh, efforts at a, at a lot of different internet companies. Kind of started doing that in the late 90s, um, mostly in San Francisco. Uh, examples are CNET, uh, CBS Interactive, um, one of the Comcast properties, uh, Zoosk, um, and uh, most recently as the kind of CTO of the Airbnb of, uh, of boating called Boatsetter. Um, roles are usually either VP of engineering or CTO, um, and I've worked at both uh, startups and uh, large internet properties. Um, I guess through that career and through those roles, I've always kind of been responsible for leading uh, like technology or software development and technology selection. So that's given me a lot of uh, perspective on how to build high scale websites, you know, and, and really delving into decisions around databases, search, you know, application monitoring, big data analytics, you know, CDN, you know, identity, just security, all of those different things that go into you know, uh, being a CTO and, and leading, um, you know, efforts around supporting and building large scale websites. Um, so that's really helped me kind of inform, you know, the type of companies that I invest in. Um, I got, got into stock picking way back in 2015 um, and, uh, and found it was interesting because initially, you know, I was just reading a lot of third party blogs uh, or sites like, you know, Yahoo Finance and more familiar with all those names and, you know, was trying to glean information from those. And then kind of it, it clicked for me that maybe I would actually improve my returns if I tried to invest in things that I understood. And that's when I shifted into, into software engineering 
uh, investment. Um, and so that uh, kind of spawned the idea for then, you know, the blog, which is uh, where, you know, it kind of forced me to um, start uh, kind of doing a lot of research on the companies that I wanted to invest in and then actually write about those. Um, kind of wrapping up the career though. Uh, so I worked as the CTO of Boatsetter through the end of last year, and then I left that company. Uh, and since then have been doing some consulting, some advisory board work, um, actually just started doing some angel investing, which has been really insightful. And, uh, and then really just spending a lot of time on the blog. Um, and then I guess on the personal side, I, I live in Florida with my wife. Um, we have five cats. <laughs> we try to uh, get outside as much as we can. I guess this part of Florida, it's called uh, the salt life. So <laughs> whatever that means. Um, and uh, I grew up all over. My, my dad was in the army and uh, I actually also spent four years in the army. I went through Princeton on an ROTC scholarship. So uh, I know Austin, you were in the air force. So uh, hoorah to you. Um, and I guess uh, I'll, I'll kind of end there. Yeah. Uh, thank you for your service, Peter, and, and your dad's service too. Uh, you know, a lot of times, um, I think people don't realize the sacrifice and, and what families sacrifice and how much families support military members. So, um, thank you to your family as well. Cause, cause I know what that life is like and, um, I'm a big fan, obviously. So, uh, and real quick, Peter, how would you, um, describe your investing style? Is it uh, kind of long-term buy and hold? And then would you say, do you have more of a concentrated portfolio? Um, just rough number of, of companies that you own and you list them on, on your site, but for people yeah. that might not be familiar. Oh, that's, that's a fair question. So yeah, I have a very concentrated portfolio. Uh, I usually hold eight to 10 names all in uh, the software uh, space very much uh, very focused on companies that provide tooling for software development teams because that's really the things that I'm most familiar with because those are the decisions that you know I had to make in the past uh, so I feel like you know I'm, I'm well empowered to kind of sort through you know the pros and cons the you know competitive landscape the you know value proposition examples of you know holdings in terms of even just largest to smallest or fastly Twilio, DocuSign, uh, Cloudflare, Elastic, MongoDB, Okta. Uh, those are my big names. And, and those are the type of companies that uh, I invest in. In terms of things I look for, you know, the, 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 you know, the main things are really around just um, a lot of the uh, kind of more less financial to start and more along the lines of kind of fundamentals as it relates to the technology. So I really look at like the product suite, um, customer use cases are important to me. You know, I really like reading about like customer stories and then trying to understand like how, you know, the technology companies uh, solutions fit into that. Uh, you know, really looking at like developer adoption and, and developer almost evangelism and excitement around solutions, you know, large addressable market, you know, that's growing, try and pick the leader or at least the disruptor in that space. And I really like companies with like fast product development velocity you know, like a data dog where they're cranking out like five products a year, um, you know, competitive moat, that kind of stuff. Strong leadership too, like technical founders, important to me. Um, so those are the things I usually lead with. And then, you know, the typical financial metrics, you know, usually looking at revenue growth over like 30%, high Dibner, you know, over 120, 130, 
um, you know, increasing profitability. Like to see a company, you know, that like going from maybe losing money to, you know, that, that inflection point where they hit profitability, um, you know, it was really refreshing. Like to see Fastly do that in the last uh, quarter. So I guess those, yeah. are, those are the kind awesome. of things yeah. that I'm looking for. Great. And we'll dive into, you hit on a couple of things there that I, that I think we'll, we'll come back to is, is yeah. um, kind of what, what we can watch for to see if those things are, are sort of trending in the right direction. Um, but let's jump to Muji and um, Muji would love to learn and have you share a little bit more about your professional background. And then, and then same thing. What, what made you think, what inspired you to get started investing? Well, a, a very similar path to Peter. Uh, all the same, but different. Uh, I was a software consultant for uh, decades. So this would be as a database and web developer. And so I was always immersed in the, kind of those same technologies Peter was talking about, web development, uh, database development, um, now into more clustered systems, um, uh, and cloud infrastructure versus on-prem. Uh, so kind of had my hands in a lot of different directions uh, there, but always around data, data streaming, data storage, data querying, data analytics, data visualization. Uh, so all those have kind of swirled around. Um, I've been an investor for uh, also for decades. I've been an investor since the dot, before the dot-com era. I was actually living in the uh, Bay Area at the time. All that was going down. Um, and uh, so started investing then and kind of was tech heavy and, and ran right into uh, a lot of the fun um, overextended companies there and had a tumultuous little time with the dot-com era, but uh, <laughs> found the Motley Fool pretty early on. And so I've been a Motley Fool customer for uh, a long time and been subscriber to their newsletters and especially on, on their, uh, their boards. So their, their forum, kind of an antiquated software, but there's a, a, it's, a great place for a lot of like-minded um, you know, investors. So I've, I've been on the boards for, for years and always kind of collecting data and been a presence there. Um, and that's kind of how I knew you, Austin, is, is, is obviously through the Martin Fool and now uh, Seven Investing. Um, and so I've uh, been writing about tech stocks, I think, for a while now. I finally honed my uh, investment and, and finally took it seriously. I was always relying on others for uh, recommendations of companies. Um, and that I did extremely well with that. Um, Netflix in particular is, is uh, one that sure erases a lot of other uh, mistakes. I think I was up uh, 140 bagger on, on that ultimately. Um, and so I had a lot of success with um, some of those services and uh, but finally took things into my own hands uh, I, I reached a weird little nexus uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, where I realized that because of my work, I, I'm, a, um, I'm, I'm a lead architect now. So lead data architect is my official role, but I'm a lead developer. I choose um, architectures, exactly as Peter was talking about from more of a CTO role, but I'm constantly evaluating new softwares, um, determining the path that the organization I work for is going to uh, go towards and start and, and, and hands-on with a lot of the implementation. And so I am uh, 
you know, an investor, a software developer, and also a technologist, I consider myself, which is, you know, interested in the future of technology, where it's all going. And so all those kind of swirl around. And I realized at my work that I am constantly explaining technology to uh, uh, the audience of customers. So people I'm building these solutions for and explaining how the architectures work. And also for upper management, who's got to make decisions around it. And so I've always explained technology. And so I kind of finally figured out how to harness that in the direction of investing in, in the exciting companies I, I consider it the you know kind of next generation uh, of of technology, um, and so I, I, I somehow wound my way into being adept at explaining things. I think for non-technical folk, it's kind of my expertise on my blog. Um, you know, diving into either product lines and explaining why these things crisscross, but I think more especially where um, you know where the leverage is in the platform. You know where these things can go from here how how tam is going to expand you know as people add new product lines or how they can take an existing platform and pivot into an entirely new direction that's the exciting stuff that i'm uh, most interested in as an investor but all yeah. the things that peter said completely resonate you know but that that's that's, that's the naming of my of my blog and my twitter persona is hyper growth that's that's the kind of companies I'm interested in. So you, you got it. You got to give it that emphasis when you say it out loud. You so how did you decide on how did you decide on that? Because it so you're tough. Like I know you, and we follow each other on Twitter. But even in Twitter search, if I don't put in the three H's in hypergrowth, I don't find you. So how did oh, you? Uh, oh, how so did I, you decide I, I on the my own niche, and it's not searchable. That's great. You, yeah. <laughs> I just like, um, I, I like the word hypergrowth. I, I adopted it as part of my investing thesis. I, that's, that's the entry point into my investment thesis is hypergrowth. So it has to be a company that is growing the top line rapidly. And then from there, I look at, you know, several other things after that. And I'm sure we'll cover that. Um, yeah. But uh, so, you know, I, I kind of adopted hypergrowth. That's the entry point into the companies I'm interested in. And uh, got it. That became my my avatar. Yeah. So you both hit on something that I think is important, um, really for investors, right? And and you both have been and you have experience as investors, and you have experience investing through uh, two thousand. Well, now three pretty large pullbacks: dot com, oh uh, eight, oh nine, and this year. <laughs> so would love for you to just both of you share a little bit your experience going through those types of events and how, especially as tech investors or growth investors, however we want to, whatever bucket uh, people like to categorize that in, how you were able to not get scared out of investing and, and continue investing in, you know, some of these companies that people call overvalued bubble, whatever the term is, how were you able to to stay focused uh, and, and keep investing after events like like those three pretty huge and terrifying events? Yeah, it's temperament uh, is everything. <laughs> you have to understand that volatility is not risk. Volatility is a normal occurrence. Uh, huge fan of of Morgan Housel uh, and his writings and. 
uh, have had the pleasure of meeting him. Uh, he uh, said at one point, you know, this is this is normal. You can expect 15% pullbacks every three years. You can expect 50% pullbacks every five years, or whatever the uh, exact ratio is. But th th this is a normal occurrence. Um, it's a little bit, as we're finding this summer, a little bit of a popularity contest at times, I think, with certain companies or certain trends and waves. Uh, I'm, I, I try to look through all of that and look at the company itself. I evaluate the execution of the company itself, where I think the technology is, got, is going. I don't feel the need to go hop onto every hot name I see bandied about on Twitter. Um, but if it's enough to grab my attention at a cursory glance, I will definitely investigate further. But I also, like Peter, carry a very concentrated portfolio now. I used to have 60 plus stocks. I've trimmed that down. Uh, that was years ago, but I've, over the uh, last few years, trimmed that down to a much more concentrated portfolio. And because of that, I follow and know the companies uh, extremely well that I hold. And so have uh, confidence in them. It's not that I'm in love with them. I feel that they're the best places for my money rather than scattering it around, you know, 20 or more companies. But yeah. because of that, I have to be very strict or I'm very strict about what I own. Yeah. I would, I would echo everything Muji said as particularly around the volatility. And I guess what gives me confidence in like my portfolio and what I'm, what I invest in is, is just confidence in the secular trends that are occurring you know, so like restaurant reservations, you know, we're not going to go back to calling the restaurant. We're going to do that through open table, you know, e-commerce, you know, the Zoom call, you know, ride sharing, all of those things I think are going to continue to progress. And if we're invested in the companies that are either doing those things or in my case, providing the picks and shovels or the technologies to enable them, then, you know, I just, I have confidence that those aren't going to go backwards. Those are going to continue. And as long as I'm thoughtful around the companies that I'm selecting and, you know, certainly applying the criteria I talked about, then, you know, yeah, if there's some near-term pullback because of something at a macro level or, you know, because, you know, a bunch of, uh, I guess, big investors or banks decides that multiples are a little inflated, you know, that's fine. I mean, that, of course, you know, that happened like in uh, the second half of 2019 with all the, all the SaaS companies, all the, the companies, the software companies we follow for no real reason. You know, but I just kind of rode through that. And, and of course, we, uh, you know, we came out better this year. So for me, it's, yeah, that confidence in the secular trends and then just being and then understanding what I'm invested in so that I, I think and I think that that is important for investors uh, to try and to take the time to at least do the research to understand what are the companies that they're invested in, like what they do, why, why they're valuable, you know, why, how their services compete, because when the market, you know, swoons and, and, or goes down um, and those, those companies, you know, lose value, that's what's going to give you the confidence that, you know, you, you shouldn't sell, you know, that, uh, you know, that, uh, that uh, Twilio or that uh, Datadog or that uh, any of those names that we talk about are, are going to be just fine. And then when there's that multiple contraction, you know, you can just, you have the confidence to kind of ride through it. Yeah, pick, picks and shovels. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's that. I, I gravitate exactly towards that myself, Peter. The companies that are yeah. the building blocks for doing business at this point, and it's not just niche a certain direction. These are very cross applicable building blocks. Twilio. Everyone needs communication. Everyone needs cybersecurity. 
every company has to adopt these things. So it's wide applicability in addition to being picks and shovels. Building blocks to being a business, yeah. not to being a tech business. Yeah. Yeah. All, all businesses, restaurants in my, in my local community that had to shut their doors in their dining rooms because of uh, coronavirus, you know, in a week or two weeks, we saw them offering, uh, you know, delivery and order online and text updates and all of, all of that, like both of you are saying was facilitated and built on top of things like um, square payments and Twilio SMS text communications and all of that stuff. So it's pretty, it's incredible. The, the adaptability and the innovation, flexibility, whatever you want to call it, that, that these software companies are providing to the businesses that build on them and, and our economy, right? Like just think about the damage that would have happened to the economy if we didn't have software that could, that could facilitate some of these changes so fast. Um, you both hit on. I flipped that over just a little bit. Flexibility from the business's perspective. Yes. Think on the other side. So I'm, I'm constantly looking through the lens of the technology side, obviously. Flexibility on the other side exists too. You've got instant scale capabilities now with cloud platforms that you never had before. And so when a company has 10 times the traffic in two months due to the pandemic, they can handle that. It's going to cost them more. They have to ramp up what infrastructure they do use, but it's all right there and available as a platform that they've already built their business on. They just are flipping a switch. It's, it's, it's a pretty incredible time. It's a great point. Zoom, Zoom would have never been able to handle the 10x increase in meeting participants if, if we weren't in the cloud era. There's this whole argument on whether or not these companies are overvalued and in a bubble right now. I personally don't think they are, but I'd love for both of you to just share your thoughts on the concept going around that we're in some type of tech bubble and there's about to be you know, this massive drop, just like 1999 and 2000. Well, <laughs> 99 and 2000 was kind of funny because back then, you know, as I'm sure Muji recalls, those, those, a lot of those companies, you know, didn't even have, uh, didn't even have revenue. Uh, you know, they, I, I, and I even invested in some like CMGI was, it was just like a holding company for, for a bunch of other companies that, um, you know, basically had like PowerPoints and ideas and maybe a little bit of software, but no, com no customers. I mean, we're obviously far ahead of that, but I think your point relative to, you know, valuations and whether, you know, these stocks that we invest in are overvalued or, or, you know, whether we're in a bubble, I guess first I'd just look at history. I mean, post 2001, let's say, you know, all of these tech providers, software providers, you know, you talked about Amazon and Netflix and such, you know, have, have generally grown. And yes, you know, they, there were certainly dips at times, but I, you know, over the long term, as long as, you know, you were invested in the right ones, you, you kind of generally were able to, you know, see appreciation. Um, also, I think what is important about the type of companies that, that we pick and is, is certainly always kind of a screening criteria is, is what Muji was talking about, the, the revenue growth. I, I think that, you know, as long as revenue growth continues to be, you know, above, let's say, 20, 30, 40% a year, then you know, it, it, as, as you almost have like a good likelihood that the company, like you said, will grow into whatever, you know, valuation is, is set currently. And yeah, I know we all look at like, 
price to sales or, you know, you know, those kinds of multiples versus necessarily multiples off of profitability like P&E ratios. But honestly, that seems to be what the market's been doing for a while. So, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. If they compress, fine. But, you know, I generally have confidence that if, you know, a, a company is growing at 30% a year revenue, well, guess what? In five years, it's just tripled. Uh, in value, assuming that, you know, those ratios stay constant. And so if they dip a little bit, you know, okay, so instead of tripling, they double, that's still, you know, a pretty reasonable return is probably going to beat the S&P. Um, so, you know, so I, I look for that or that gives me confidence. And then I, I do agree with the, the notion that these companies do eventually need to be profitable. And that's why I think it is important, you know, as, as we look at companies that, while they're in this high growth mode, they do demonstrate, you know, year over year, incremental improvements in operating margin, free cash flow margin, you know, those other metrics around profitability. And as long as I see that, you know, they're each quarter or each year, you know, ticking up uh, up margin by a couple percent and then eventually breaking even, well, that's great. Then I have confidence that over the long term, you know, they're going to be profitable as well. I would, uh, yes, all of that. Uh, completely agree. And have a very similar take. Uh, having been exactly through the dot com era uh, and riding this fun roller coaster called JDS Uniphase, where fiber <laughs> is going to change the world, and ninety nine percent loss later. Pets dot com. <laughs> um, yeah, pets dot com. Those are just a completely different realm. Uh, those are all what I like to label aspirational. They're just a dream. They're a story. Uh, they're not investing in a company that is executing now. Whereas we've got proof right in front of us in the financials, these companies are executing. Zoom is not a dream. It is not something that's going to exist in the future. It just grew 169% and is likely to grow 250% in the upcoming earnings. It is a very exciting time <laughs> for that company in particular. But other companies, Datadog, CrowdStrike, they're all performing incredibly well right now. They're not aspirational. However, in me looking at the technology and the technology story, I do see the potential for them to become more than they are right now. And so that's, it's a good melding for me. And that's the, the picks that I'm most confident in is when I see the operational excellence hit the uh, ability to, what I call the ability to scale. So this is the signs of operational leverage. I don't care about profitability in particular. I don't really care about valuation because I think it's a little bit of an old fashioned notion. It doesn't factor in scale and it doesn't factor in technology. And, and to me, these are a little more intangibles. So I look at the you know, financials, proof of the execution, but I need to see signs of operational leverage. And so it doesn't have to be profitable, but it has to be showing signs that they can swing profitable at a moment's notice, I want them to be using a, a higher level of expense now. If, if their modus operandi is land and expand, they need to be landing as much as humanly possible right now so they can take advantage of the expand. And so that's exactly what you want to see is that the signs of operational leverage, but it doesn't have to be profitable to me. But then I look at the other side, the technology platform, and I need to see signs of scale there. I need to see customers coming, flowing in rapidly. I need to see them spending more and more in the, in the net expansion rate. And then I need to see uh, ways that, and this is where it gets a lot more intangible, 
ways that their existing platform, I like to, like Peter, I like to see evidence of a platform, an ecosystem is developing. Ways that that platform can be leveraged in future directions. And to me, we just saw that with Cloudflare, um, you know, bolting on a whole different category of cybersecurity, nearly doubling their TAM. That's exactly the kind of exciting points I'm looking for in evaluating the company's AI. So I, I, yeah. I see no relevance to .com at all. Exactly. Totally different era of pipe dreams and gambling versus we've got proof in execution. Uh, certainly there's always risks, um, but the risks now are because there's so, such wide applicability and these are the picks and shovels, it's going to be, you know, catastrophic if, if, there's, if there's risk, meaning that businesses have to be dropping like flies as their customer base. But the existing customers are going nowhere. They've adopted this platform. It costs less for them to adopt this platform. They're going to stay on that platform. You know, there's no motivation for them to leave and spend more doing it the old way. So, Yeah, Kathy Wood, um, founder and chief investment officer of ARC, which I know all three of us are fans of. And mm -hmm. if you've never heard of them, look them up, ARK, invest, fantastic stuff, very transparent. They do weekly or maybe they're monthly webinars. Mm -hmm. And in the most recent one, she actually talked about how because of how low interest rates are, the market in general is actually right around the kind of over the last, I think, two decades or three decades, the uh, minimum PE ratio that is, that's kind of the threshold when you compare it to interest rates. And so her argument is actually that with where interest rates are, how fast we're innovating and, and what these companies have been able to do and, and how fast the economy can adapt and grow and things like that. We're actually towards the minimum end of, of what that range could be. And, and they expect multiple years of, of kind of good outperformance or good performance from even the S&P 500. And then, so when you think about these types of companies, if we're investing in the right companies and we have the right behaviors, we should be able to do a lot better than that. Uh, so we have a bunch of questions for both of you and, and we'll get to those, but I would love for each of you to share and we'll start with Muji on this a little bit about you learn about a new company at a high level. How does that filter through your investing process and how has your writing process and in, in your own blogs, how has that impacted your investing process? Cause one of the biggest things I want people to take away from this is whether you start a blog or write or, or make your own notes or whatever, I think one of the best things you can do for investing is to begin writing your thoughts out. Great, great question, Austin. And, and may I say, Austin Lieberman is a, is, is a mentor. He's, I, I've, I've watched him, you know, get into that realm he was just discussing of, of, of writing a lot, documenting his process, and it, and it made me do the same. Uh, you know, I saw how it that, made That me means a lot. Out. I mean... That means a lot, Muji. Thank you. Um, I look up to you, so it means a lot to hear that from you. So I uh, definitely, I'm prolific with the writing. I'm, I'm, I've, uh, I, I'm verbose in, in describing things. Um, I, I, I'm a note taker. And so I, uh, whether it's work or studying something, I, I'm an engineer at heart. Okay, so I'm, I'm a software developer and I research things all the time. So I jot down rough notes 
And I kind of am constantly coming back and refining them into an outline. And, and I like to weave a little bit of a story uh, to, to certainly to my blog posts. <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, when I was uh, on the fool and on the boards and kind of part of a, a, a community there of like-minded individuals that were all studying hypergrowth. And I really started adopting hypergrowth as a, as an investment strategy, meaning hypergrowth is really the proven execution. You know, it's this company is doing so well, they are growing hand, hand over foot. Um, but I really, that's when I wrapped it up into my tech and research um, abilities. But I spend a lot of time on my posts. It's, it's a very uh, involved process. And then I'm also working full time and I've uh, got a family and, and young daughter you know, trying to remain uh, involved in their lives. And I'm actually a, a little bit of an adventurer. So we go on trips a lot. I, scuba and sail and ski and have fun with life as well. Um, so uh, what, in my evenings, I kind of uh, take the time to jot my thoughts down. And I completely agree with you. It is a rewarding experience just for any investor to jot their thoughts down and have an investment log of what you're doing and what you're thinking in a given moment because things fluctuate so much and especially around earnings and you can get a glimpse at, at, at how the company is performing and then you know product news and things things are as Peter was saying these, these are very rapidly developing uh, companies that are that have product lines that are being renewed they're exploring new product spaces they're 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 moving quickly um, but I, I keep jotting that down and just kind of refine 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 and uh, once I've got the major points down uh, as like I'm I, I've got a new company I look at their financials. I see the growth that I like to see right off the bat. And I see the signs of operational leverage, meaning I see a nice swing in one of the operating margins or the cash flow margins. I can see it swinging. It's still negative, but at least it's trending the right direction. You know, I, I want to see a positive trend. Once I've got that, I will uh, dive deeper into the, into the story and, and document kind of what the platform is. What is the ecosystem, meaning what you know, here's the platform of their particular product line and kind of the walls around what it, it, it's defined as. The ecosystem, which is how they interact with partners and integrate with others. Um, and then where uh, are they that picks and shovels play? You know, where, what, what category do they fall in? Picks and shovels, are they development tools? Uh, certainly my, my main categories right now, development tools, um, cybersecurity, observability, edge networks that are all new platforms that people can be developing their own applications on. That's uh, data and storage, analytics. You know, those are all um, topics that I'm pretty tuned to and, and excited about. Um, and so, you know, once I've got all those notes down, I kind of weave a story a little bit about how, um, how to better understand it. And it's really for me. <laughs> so these are all notes for me. And I, I uh, you know, with a little bit of extra effort, I uh, package them up and am able to make them uh, consumable by uh, uh, other, uh, other investors to get to know these stories, to get to know Elasticsearch. I had a huge write-up on Elastic. I had a huge write-up on cybersecurity, uh, edge networks. You know, I like to um, explain what the excitement is around these particular um, platforms and technologies. And uh, it makes me excited as an uh, investor, but really it's, it, it, that whole research process bolsters my own knowledge. I don't 
go personally use edge networks. You know, so when I write it up, I'm exploring the technology where it stands and then where I feel the potential is. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's all kind of a win-win for me. I, I, I become a better investor. I keep track of my notes uh, of, of my investment moves and why I'm doing what I'm doing. I keep track of the earnings, which Peter is, excels at. Uh, I love his earnings uh, reports. And then Thanks. these other deep dives into the, into the industries like edge networks and just to better explain why these are at the forefront of the next wave of, of uh, solutions. Yeah, and I guess for me, so yeah, I adopt a lot of the tactics that, that Meiji does um, and take a lot of the same approaches. I guess what I would add is one, in terms of um, evaluating companies, I do, uh, I guess, for me, I'll leverage a lot of my past experience in terms of technology choices. So, and in some ways, apply the same paradigms to investing. So if back in the day I were, you know, running a website and, you know, we had identity as, uh, you know, as a component of it, let's say, you know, for a dating website, you have to create, you know, at a, you have to create an account, you log in, you know, you get authenticated, you have access to certain permissions. Um, we used to roll our own for that at Zeusk, but now there's this Octa solution. So for me, evaluating Octa is like, well, what is the benefit to my organization of, you know, taking an off the shelf identity management solution and through APIs incorporating that into my application and how much is that going to cost me? And is that, is there a value proposition there? And, and, you know, what are the additional benefits in terms of maintainability and security and those kinds of things? And if, Okta in that case, or any company I'm looking at kind of passes that sniff test. And to me, that's almost the, the, the biggest validation of, of my interest in the company, because I know that other CTOs and other customers, you know, would probably have a similar reaction, you know, and I go through that process with, you know, any company I look at, whether it's like Elastic or Mongo or Twilio or Fastly, you know, you could certainly make the argument with Fastly and Cloudflare, like, okay, well, why would I move off of Akamized? you know, DDoS solution or their WAF or their CDN, or why wouldn't I use CloudFront for CDN, which I used to, you know, five years ago or at, at another company, but, you know, now there's this new CDN. Why is that better? Uh, and as a CTO, what, what, you know, advantages would that have from a, from a performance and from a cost point of view and from a programmability and flexibility and all those criteria that then would make me a buyer, which then I assume would make, you know, other uh, companies buyers. So that, at least for me, that, that paradigm or that, that decision-making process, uh, you know, has helped me with kind of investing as well. And then, yeah, there's the, you know, the, the financial metrics. And, and also, I really like how Muji kind of modeled, uh, you know, the consideration around the platform and extensibility of that and operational leverage. Um, yeah, all of those things are really important points. As it relates to the writing, um, that has actually been probably the biggest relevation for me and contributor to, you know, my investment, I guess, uh, performance and I would say success this year is forcing myself to write about the companies that I'm invested in. And um, the reason is that if you have to write a thesis about a company, whether it's a review of the past quarter or simply why you're invested in it, it forces you, I'll say me, 
to really go into a lot of detail and research in terms of, well, the whys, well, what do they do? Can you explain to that to someone? Why is it better? How does it relate to this competitor? And those are things that, at least for me personally, I found I would just skip over when I was not forcing myself to write about this. You know, you just kind of take it for granted or you might read somebody else's review and say, okay, well, so-and-so said, you know, Fastly was a good buy, so I'm not gonna bother like spending the time to understand it myself. But like going into that much depth to really understand what these companies do and, and having to write it down, I think is a really good exercise. So sure, I don't think everybody needs to go out and start a blog, but certainly doing what Muji is describing, which is I think every investor, if, if you're putting real money into a company, at the very least, I'd say every quarter, like write your own personal review of how they did that quarter. You know, and if you just store it on your own hard drive and don't share it with anybody, that'll make you a five times better investor, I think, because you're forcing yourself to really, you know, justify that investment for yourself and do the due diligence uh, that, you know, is necessary in order to really understand what the company does. So I, I think for anyone, you know, who's wondering about like writing, you know, if nothing else, just write your own notes, like Muji said, and put it on your hard drive. And if you don't share it with anybody, it's still really valuable. We can find this information and we can dedicate five or 10 hours a week or whatever it is. And when you look at the ROI on that time spent over, you know, multiple years of investing, it's hard to beat the, the return that you get on, on those hours of, of investing. Um, so yeah, where do you, where do you find this information? Are you, are you both in executive level meetings? Do you have companies telling you about their new products and their customers? Uh, where do you get this, this info? I do it the well, old fashioned way. <laughs> I <well> investigate. <laughs> uh, I, uh, the first place I look, uh, well, certainly, so ideas are, uh, I, I'm always open to new ideas. And so uh, Twitter's great for that. Um, some things will crop up. Uh, there's excitement about a certain company. C Limited is, is, is a company out of Singapore that uh, there's a lot of excitement on Twitter. And, and so, um, you know, you, you start following certain people that can do those sorts of initial uh, deep dives. That is a really good short shortcut into learning about um, companies that are, are triggering my interest. Um, uh, the Motley Fool, uh, as I mentioned, is another one on services like yours, Austin, um, as, as idea spawns. But as Peter mentioned, I run a very um, concentrated portfolio, about eight to 10 companies right now. And I've really taken over the past few years uh, the approach of um, deeply researching and understanding those companies. So following the earnings. So I'm always looking at the financial statements, uh, again, for signs of operational leverage or, 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 or whatnot. Um, the conference calls, uh, listening to them or looking at uh, transcripts, normally trying to do both. I don't normally listen to them live. I'll listen to them after the fact with the transcript so I can pause and, and, and take notes. Um, it's a little hard to do when it's all rushed through in an hour. Um, so I really trust on the company. I, I like to see the execution. I, I like to see it in the financials. So I'll spend a lot of time there in particular. Uh, when I'm investing in technology, then it's a little more wide ranging, um, trolling through all their product pages, their marketing. I am not privy to those executive meetings and those secret handshakes and those uh, top secret clubs out there. Uh, if anyone wants to invite me, you know, feel free. <laughs> uh, um, especially if it's on a big boat somewhere, a sailboat. Uh, but I, 
And I'm not a user of many of these technologies. I am tangential to them. I'm certainly in the data space, so I'm, I definitely utilize uh, Elasticsearch, Elastic's product, uh, MongoDB, uh, uh, some of those things. But um, and, and I'm an open source developer, so I'm, I'm constantly in the open source uh, you know, tooling. But um, as far as the applicability of products, say CrowdStrike, I don't have a direct um, involvement with that company. I don't know anything about them. I just see the execution first and foremost. Locked in. Wow, this company is performing extremely well. I need to know why. Then I start taking deeper looks, understand the technology. In the, in the case of uh, cybersecurity and, and technology, w one thing I noticed in that particular company immediately is I was evaluating them with uh, Elasticsearch. So I was an Elasticsearch investor. Elasticsearch is getting into cybersecurity. One of the direct competitors would be CrowdStrike for endpoint protection, protecting the device itself. They acquired a company. And so I'm looking at these two companies and realizing, oh, this CrowdStrike has a secret sauce. And that is the fact that it is cloud-based, meaning it can look over the entirety of its customer base at once. Anything on-prem, aka the legacy solutions, or anything really Elastic is doing is, is solely looking at just that company's endpoints, not the entire globe of endpoints. And so one inherent advantage that these that CrowdStrike would have over legacy players, and, and unfortunately, in this case, Elasticsearch and their endpoint acquisition, is that they can see and react over any breach of across their entire globe of customers. And so they can spot it immediately, they can patch it immediately, and they can save every single customer at once with that patch. And so it's just a really interesting uh, dynamic that you've got under this cloud paradigm of SaaS providers providing this tooling. They've got some inherent advantages that didn't exist in the days of old. You know, whereas 20 years ago, I was looking at products or looking at companies that were making products. And so they had to sell that number of products again that the next year plus more again and again and again, whatever widget they sold. SaaS is a totally different paradigm where you are locking in a customer and they are recurring revenue every year unless they leave. And so it just seems to be a different time. Uh, I'm not going to say everything's different. Of course it's not. But I, I feel like these concerns about valuation and things like that, don't take these things into account, the extreme lock-in that some of these companies have, and then how much they can scale from here and into new directions. It's all, I don't know, it's a very exciting time to be an investor, I, I think, in, in, in this particular space. Yeah. In terms of, um, I guess, sources of information for me. So, you know, as I said, I kind of start with, or my focus is on the, the, the building block companies. So what I look for is sources of information about uh, companies that are using those building blocks. So places I go are first, there's a, a few podcasts I listen to uh, regularly that are associated with software engineering. Uh, my favorite is software engineering daily. That's been going for like several years, but uh, there's a, a guy, Jeff Meyerson, who, you know, interviews um, kind of tech leaders from various companies, like he does a podcast every single day. And, you know, he asks them about like their tech stack and what technologies they're using and, you know, how they solve certain problems. So I listen to those and of course, look for companies that 
are getting talked about um, as it relates to you know solving problems. Uh, another interesting source of information I found is reading the company engineering blogs for a lot of the innovative you know companies that um, are more in kind of the, the consumer internet space. So my favorite engineering blogs are like Uber, Airbnb, like Stripe, Square, Shopify, Pinterest. So I read those engineering blogs. I also follow them on Twitter. They all have like Twitter accounts when they publish a post. You know, so an example would be like a couple of weeks ago, I was reading the Airbnb blog and I saw that they announced that they're, uh, they relaunched their um, Airbnb experiences product with the Zoom uh, API in order to facilitate kind of hosts presenting an Airbnb experience uh, to guests. And they've rolled that out to like 50,000 hosts worldwide. And I was like, whoa, well, that's probably good for Zoom. Maybe I should look into that a little bit more. Um, but, you know, I've uncovered a lot of, uh, you know, I guess insight in terms of my investments by, you know, trolling those kinds of uh, uh, sources. You know, and then of course, when I'm like preparing the, um, you know, the blog posts or the, the quarterly reviews, you know, all that information is, is of course, as we know, available online. You know, I, I listen to the conference calls, you know, read the transcripts, pull up the, go to the investor relations site, pull up the prezos, go through that. I mean, the company websites themselves usually have a lot of information about, you know, the products and, you know, their own blogs themselves. You know, like I read the Cloudflare blog and the Fastly blog, like, like constantly, every time they post something, you know, I'm like reading about that. And I think that if you get into that habit, you just like are, are constantly ingesting this information over time that just allows you as an investor to become more familiar with, you know, what the company is doing. That's more like once you've selected one. Another source of information that I found is just super rich is YouTube for tech talks. So again, I mean, this is specific to technology, but like there's a number of conferences like Velocity Conference and, you know, there's several others where, you know, technology kind of thought leaders talk about um, different trends in technology. But what I also find is that a lot of the tech leadership from the companies that, you know, I write about or that we're talking about here, you know, often speak. Like I, I've listened to, and it's very easy if you want to go like put Tyler McMullen, the CTO of, uh, of Fastly in YouTube, you'll see a whole bunch of talks come up, you know, or Arthur Bergman or, you know, I mean, the list goes on. Uh, and if you watch those talks, you get a lot of insight into how the company is thinking about you know, the problems that they're solving and the approaches that they take. Um, you know, I even got like, when I was deep into my Fastly research, I got into a bunch of tech talks from an organization called WebAssembly SF, which is basically a, a meetup in San Francisco uh, to talk about WebAssembly. And Cloudflare and Fastly both present, you know, at that, at that meetup pretty frequently. You know, so if you listen to those talks, you actually learn a lot about what they're doing now. I mean, it's time consuming, of course, but, um, you know, those are, I've also found that to be a pretty rich source of information because a lot of those, you know, those uh, conferences and those, those meetups, they actually publish the tech talks and I find them very, very valuable. Uh, but I think, you know, I just, it's, I agree, it's important to spend the time doing the, doing the research, whether you're going to blog about it or, or certainly if you're just making an investment you know, what is it, it was like Peter Lynch, you know, kind of quipped like, you know, most investors spend more time like researching a washing machine or a refrigerator than like, you know, the stocks that they're putting their life savings into. And I think in some, in some cases it's like accurate. So, 
I don't know. That would be my little bit of yeah, advice. yeah, uh, awesome points, and that and that's kind of both of you hit on exactly what I was hoping. You know, all this stuff is available to the public. You just have to be a little bit resourceful. Google it. The company websites, Cloudflare has their own. It's like a twenty four seven TV network now all kinds of stuff that's available and two awesome resources, uh, softwarestackinvesting.com and hypergrowth.com. Uh, I mean, two other places where you can, you can steal from the time that Peter and Muji put into studying all these companies and learn about them that way. Uh, do you have something Muji? Yeah. I mean, that's the benefit. And certainly that's why I blog is to uh, let the investors who don't know those things who aren't technically inclined, uh, to be able to uh, put some of those pieces together. So exactly like Peter was talking about. He's looking for those building blocks. He sees evidence of, of a company using those building blocks in ways he didn't anticipate. You know, that's, that, th those are always interesting to surface or what I was talking about with CrowdStrike, you know, it's like putting pieces together because you're familiar with the technology deeply that, you know, maybe the typical investor can't. And so I do, you know, throw stuff out there to try and be part of people. I, I don't want to be an investment service but I, I want to be part of people's due diligence for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great point. Well, so I'm, I'm uh, skipping Peter's uh, answer and I'm going to start, go sign up for a bunch of um, Twitter blogs. <laughs> company, the company blogs. That's a great giving idea. away all my secrets. <laughs> I, go so ahead, please too. I use, I don't know if you, either of you have heard of this. I use feedly.com and it's like 90 bucks a year you can create a feed and I pull from Fastly, Cloudflare, every company you could think of, and it automatically updates your feed anytime any of those companies make a, a blog post. And then it provides you this, you know, this streamlined feed where you can view it inside Feedly and you can click to go to the company's external websites. You can tag stuff and tell it what you like and what you don't. It's a, it's a great service. Um, and, and it might make both of your lives a little easier too, because I think All we right. follow a lot of companies widely. Um, so we're going to get to Twitter questions in just a second. You both have been very generous of your time. This is one of the longest episodes, but I'm super excited about it. I want to put you both in a little bit of an uncomfortable, let's keep going a little bit of an, uh, well, you have families and I, <laughs> I am thankful for your time. Um, and it is late at night. So I want to be respectful of that. I'm going to put you both in an uncomfortable situation as much as I've just complimented both of you, right. uh, that I didn't really tell you I was going to do. So we it is uh, we're taping this on August 18th. There's a lot of the companies we follow have reported earnings. Some have not. So the companies that have reported Datadog, Alteryx, Fastly, Cloudflare, companies like that. Some that haven't, CrowdStrike, Zoom. From the companies that have reported, I would like each of you to tell me which one you're most impressed with and which one uh, maybe you've got some... Uh, you're a bit more cautious on, or maybe some yellow flags, but, and tell me why, but you're not allowed to use numbers. So it just has to be, you know, understandable terms in general terms in a, in a story way. Why, why are you excited about a company? And then which one are you a little bit more cautious on maybe than you were before? I'll let Peter go first. <laughs> well, I'll take the easy one. <laughs> I, I, I got an easy one that I'm disappointed in. Uh, yeah. Well, I think in terms of the one that I was excited about, uh, obviously Fastly, uh, I think 
that's because I like the accelerated revenue. I like the discussions around um, customer ads. I like the customer growth. I like the move towards profitability. I like the potential, uh, the market potential. Um, I know it, they didn't deliver quite at the level that I think investors were anticipating, but of course, you know, it has gone up like at the time of earnings, like five X, uh, year to date or it had, um, so I'm still pretty bullish on Fastly, particularly going into next year. I think Q4 for Fastly is going to be really interesting. I mean, if you, uh, I'm not supposed to say numbers, but if you try and project what Q4 growth is going to look like, it comes in uh, rather favorably. Uh, and I think Q4 is going to be big across the board uh, for a number of the building block companies, primarily because of uh, all the activity that is moving uh, online. I think anything related to e-commerce uh, in Q4 is going to benefit. Um, you know, I even sent out in my kind of weekly email an example of how there are these like investment funds that are going around buying all the bankrupted retailers like Pier One and Dress Barn and, uh, you know, Model Sports and a number of others. And they're basically shutting down all the stores and moving all the operations online. And lo and behold, Dress Barn just moved like 65 million a year of, of sales onto Shopify Plus. And they're going to probably do the same as holding companies going to do the same with Pier One and a bunch of others. So you kind of wonder what is going to, you know, what are the ramifications of that? But um, to answer your question, so I'm bullish on Fastly. I guess one that I was, is I'm a little more cautious on uh, would be Datadog. And that's mostly around just the the revenue kind of slowdown. Um, I'm still confident in them long-term, but I think going from 87% year-over-year growth to 68 to projecting 50% for Q3, and if you do Q4, it's like 38%. I just, I worry about where that's going to land. I think over the long-term, it'll be fine in the 40s. Uh, percent growth over time, and I was encouraged by their product uh, releases subsequent to earnings. Um, but I'm going to have to kind of, you know, dig into that one a little bit more before I kind of initiate a position. But I've been covering it favorably, you know, for the last couple quarters. But that was one where, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a little more hedged right now than, um, you know, than kind of strong bullishness from from before. Yeah, interesting. Opinion. So. I'm pretty positive that Muji's answers are both going to be different than yours. <laughs> uh, somewhat similar. Uh, the company I'm di disappointed with is Alteryx. Uh, they've really hit a wall. Um, some of it due to the way revenue is recognized uh, up front under um, 606 accounting rules. Uh, but I'm surprised how little strength they had going in. Um, certainly they were in impacted industries, but they even said impacted industries were buying them strongly. So they saw a lot of interest out of impacted industries as they were trying to improve operations and really slim down and using analytics for that. But uh, I, I really like where they're going as a platform, a little bit of risk in where they're going into the platform because it's, it's a pretty marked change in their technology. So they're going from pretty Windows centric um, client server-based technology to more cloud-based um, and having a lighter uh, designer on the browser. <clears throat> There's a little bit of risk there too, uh, but I'm pretty disappointed in Alteryx all around. Um, uh, 
Uh, Datadog, I was actually pretty pleased with. Uh, the, the one thing I guess I would highlight for uh, Peter is that um, they saw a lot of strength in their in their top customers. Where they saw the numbers change was that those top customers really streamlined their operations. And so because they're not usage-based per se, but they are a uh, number of uh, 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 amount of infrastructure-based, I guess I'd say. So, you know, the number of containers, the number of servers. Um, so as, as companies really tighten their belts, I think they reduce the number of servers. They tried to make do more with less. Um, and so I think that really impacted um, Datadog a little bit in a surprising way, but I'm, I'm still pretty bullish on them. Uh, so I wasn't uh, really displeased there, uh, but I, I would say I, I am pleased with both Fastly and um, Cloudflare in general. Cloudflare doesn't quite have the splash right now. I think some of it's muted because they're, uh, they're bolt-on uh, clone of Zscaler. So they've, they've gone and developed a kind of end-to-end security for network traffic uh, for enterprise users called Cloudflare for Teams. And it is a, a seemingly exact clone of Zscaler. Obviously, I don't use these products. But technology-wise, it works exactly the same as Zscaler currently does. And the setup is the same. Um, they uh, released that in January right into the pandemic and then made it free for users to really ease that transition. So a, a great move as far as um, you know, corporate brand and, and kind of the ethics of their brand. Um, but they made it free through September 1. And so we're really not going to see the benefit of that until later. But they're showing such strength now and aren't nearly as usage-based as uh, on their pricing as uh, Fastly is. And so it's just you know, a remarkably solid company, that, a very solid performer. But I'm seeing some interesting things from their technology that, that Peter covered their uh, serverless week. Um, seeing some things there I like. And it's interesting watching Fastly and, and uh, I, I just studied up on the uh, Fastly's call last night. I'm a little slow to catch up on, on earnings reports. And uh, even some shade was being thrown both directions from both yeah. of these companies talking, you know, Cloudflare is pointing out speed isn't everything, which is Fastly's uh, you know, claim to fame, really. And then uh, Fastly really highlighting that their usage-based focus on their go-to market, which is focusing on enterprise customers and usage-based pricing is better than the small to medium business and focusing on a lot of little customers, which was obviously a shout out to Cloudflare. So a little shade being thrown both ways because mm -hmm. these yeah. companies are very much going head to head in, in, in their respective space. Um, and uh, both is next gen uh, edge platforms. And please do not think of them as, as CDN's audience because they are not. That is but one application on their, on their platform. But that's the companies I'm most excited about. But it's not so much from this earnings. It's it's great to see Fastly has you know some momentum. But uh, it's more the um, I mean just massive potential. They're having success now, and I see a lot more coming for yeah. both companies in different ways uh, over the next few quarters. Yeah, I would definitely echo that. I mean, I opened a position in Cloudflare. Now I'm, it's almost my now I've got my Fastly and Cloudflare on. Let's call it the edge compute play, but you know that's like a third of my portfolio now. And and I would agree. I think that it's interesting how Fastlane and Cloudflare I think are attacking the huge market, but from different ways. You know, I mean, you could segment by or look at how they segment by customer type. You know, Fastly focuses on enterprise, 
Cloudflare focuses more on SMB. Cloudflare has many more customers. Fastly has fewer. Um, you know, in terms of the product positioning, you know, Cloudflare seems to be a little more network and is dabbles in enterprise security, whereas you know, Fastly is kind of trying to be very clear that they're going after developers. You know, even the differences in in kind of the serverless product positioning. You know, where Cloudflare is accommodative of of many different languages and is extending the you know, the longer run times, whereas Fastly is trying to constrain that more to perform performance. You know, I think they're just going to cater to different, different audience segments, different buyers, different use cases, and both will benefit, I think. Um, so I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they play. Uh, but I'm, I'm, yeah, like Muji, kind of bullish on both. Yeah, I do think the market got a little ahead of itself, uh, certainly on, on Fastly for sure. But uh, yeah. in general, it's been weird this season of, you know, every company is rising or every company is falling kind of with this market. Um, you know, Alteryx, which has an extremely disappointing performance, rose remarkably between quarters for who knows why. Yeah. And I took advantage of that personally <laughs> to exit most of my position. Um, but uh, I'm really excited. I, I do agree, Datadog, you know, surprisingly had a, a little more um, headwinds than expected. I'm looking forward to the ones you just mentioned, uh, Austin, that are coming up still. CrowdStrike, Zoom, uh, both of those shown a lot of headwinds or, or tailwinds going into um, uh, going into the into the pandemic, and so you know the whole work from home is really going to feed into both of those. Uh, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to the next uh, couple of weeks of earnings reports. Yeah. Um, so interesting points there is is that you know a lot of people I think look at companies that could be seen as competitors or in the same industry as kind of a, um, it's a zero sum game. But what I think I'm hearing from both of you, and I think you both own Fastly and Cloudflare, mm -hmm. uh, is that there's a way, and if the edge computing becomes as large as what these companies are saying, and I think as what us three think it can become, you could be very successful owning both of those companies. Uh, and and there's there's plenty of room and and I the thing that I where I learned that from or I guess the model I follow with that is if we look at the big cloud vendors Microsoft Azure Amazon Web Services and Google Cloud Platform those are three monster businesses if they were just businesses by themselves and they've all done extremely well so if you think about the opportunity that's got to be there for Fastly and Cloudflare and Edge especially as they're both disrupting and taking customers from Akamai. A uh, lot of opportunity there. Um, I, I like to say in my, in my write-up that uh, CDN is just how they got there. It's just the first yes. app that, that they had success with that funded their architecture, but they designed a better way to network the globe. And they're taking advantage of that and made it programmable. And so now it's one of the building blocks and that's, I, I can see why Peter likes them so much if he's around the building blocks, because that's what they are now. That They're only going to power the next uh, wave of innovation uh, for for um, internet traffic, both directions. So CDN is very, um, you know, coming from the core out to, to uh, you know, kind of publish data that goes out to the scattered users, whereas, uh, you know, both of these solutions can really be handling traffic uh, from any direction. So it's pretty, pretty exciting. Uh, one interesting... Traffic. One interesting difference um, that I heard in the two earnings calls 
cloud or Cloudflare and Fastly, Cloudflare really emphasized that um, compliance could be a, a huge area for them. And, and I believe that's because their network in terms of points of presence and where their servers are and stuff like that is much larger uh, in terms of raw numbers and the countries that they're, they have servers in is much larger than Fastly. And so what that means as, and we're kind of seeing it with TikTok potentially in the US is more and more countries maybe get concerned about doing business either within their own country or not doing business in certain other countries or not crossing lines. Cloudflare does have the ability to, to offer that compliance to companies because of how many servers they have around the world uh, to, to keep it, you know, within those confines. That was, that was my understanding. I, I, I could be way off with no, that, no. but that was how, that was how I took that. So Cloudflare is in a hundred, a hundred countries, uh, fastly than 55. Um, yeah. uh, different number of, of pops, but they've, they got the same general strategy there. But I, I think what you're finding is that they're feeling each other out in terms of what their strengths are. Clearly fastly yeah. is really getting a lot of these next gen companies, Shopify, uh, Pinterest, TikTok. It's, it's all these, you know, really future forward companies that are really at the cutting edge of, of software development right now and taking advantage of how data streams across the globe. Um, Cloudflare has really taken the tax towards um, security focus. Although I will point out fastly one takeaway I had that I haven't written up yet, but they've mentioned security way more often in their recent blog posts and uh, on the latest call than they ever have before. And there was a lot of hints that something's coming soon, but they've, I think I actually gleaned this from Peter, that the uh, CEO in one of the later um, interview presentations talked about how he's not going after point to point cybersecurity. He's more going after security in terms of app security. And so I think they are going to mm -hmm. start taking advantage and maybe do something similar to Okta, start entering Okta space where they're doing um, identity management at the edge or something like that. So there, there's some clues in there about where they're going, but they're really staking out what um, domains they want, I think. And so compliance, perfect one for Cloudflare. They're in more countries, but they can hone services that are specific to the laws and data retention policies of every company, absolutely. But yeah, and, uh, I guess with, with these is, I, I think they really get dismissed as aspirational plays. It's like, oh, it's great. It's gonna be, it's providing something in the future, but I don't, personally invest that way. I, I, these aren't aspirational bets for me. This isn't what, you know, Fastly is going to have some magic next year with Compute for Edge. I'm not, that's not a part of my thesis for Fastly at all. Yeah. I, I do want them to have Compute. It's a necessary component for, for them, but they're having success today with their platform. Yeah. And so this is the combination I was exactly talking about at the beginning. I want to see execution today and ways to leverage that on the platform going forward. And both of those two companies have it in spades. One of the, the really, and this is the last, I can nerd out on this stuff all night, <laughs> but one of the really interesting things that Joshua Bixby, the CEO of Fastly said when he was asked about kind of their, their sales approach in terms of small and medium sized businesses is they almost use their partners. And so this is companies like um, Shopify. I, I don't, I think like Wix like might Adobe, be a customer there's a partner, Adobe, Adobe, Magento. Yeah. yeah. 
to help them bring in the business and the impact from all of those different shops being opened up and stuff like that. So it's just really cool to see both of these companies know what they're good at right now. And then kind of like toy with the, with the idea of, of either for Cloudflare expanding more into enterprise or with Fastly expanding more into small and medium business. But it's nice to see they're, they're self-aware and they know what they're good at right now. Uh, all right, let's jump into to questions and then we will end this thing and I will let you go back to your lives and your families. Uh, I didn't want you to share a bunch of numbers and stuff because I want people to go to your respective blogs and see your numbers on the write-ups I just wanted you to get people excited about the results of some of these companies. Uh, Muji, you said one thing, you're excited about Zoom. Um, Peter, I think you're excited about Zoom too. What about when this work from home thing ends and everybody just goes back to work and life goes back to normal like it was in 2017 and 18? Uh, isn't, isn't Zoom just gonna be, it's not gonna be important anymore? Uh, certainly to some degree. I mean, of course, once we have more human interaction in our lives, yes. Uh, of course, that's part of what is making Zoom successful right now. But no, at the same time, it's not going to go down. There, it, it's, a new, it's a new world. Um, people are realizing that uh, in-person conferences to gather 30,000 people in a set location is extremely expensive for all the participants, and it's so much easier to do virtually. Um, no, I would, I would oh, yeah. okay. I, and I would, I would add that I think people are maybe thinking a little one-dimensionally when they think about Zoom, uh, you know, they're thinking about an experience like this, you know, or, or when they're, when we were in lockdown and, you know, it's like, oh, my family gets on Zoom or, you know, all my college buddies get together on Zoom. And yeah, I mean, those use cases will continue to exist or, you know, oh, my companies work from home and when we all go back to work, will we need Zoom anymore? But I think that misses the opportunity to an extent, which is that, now that people are more familiar and comfortable with video interactions, I think we should think about the opportunity for video interaction to kind of transcend into other common day-to-day -day experiences. So dating is a good example. You know, why should you necessarily have to go on a bunch of physical dates, at least at, at the beginning, when you might be able to do some initial kind of screening over Zoom? Um, the you know, so, that, you know, that could be one example of, you know, more usage of Zoom. I mean, tele, telemedicine is, you know, an obvious one, which is just, you know, taking off um, substantially. And obviously Twilio and, you know, Agora to an extent are getting into, into that. But I think that's a big opportunity for Zoom. But I think what, what investors should think about are what, are what are other video driven experiences that could, you know, then be leveraged, um, you know, through uh, or, or I guess, uh, distributed to other channels. I mean, online shopping would be another one. I mean, if I'm like at Wayfair and I'm, I want to look at like how a couch looks and I can't, you know, necessarily um, discern that from the pictures, what if I could actually do like a video showroom with, you know, a salesperson, you know, over like, well, over video and, and whether Zoom powers that or, or some other provider. I just think there's a big opportunity for this, you know, for, for video streaming in general. Yeah, I yeah. think their consumer user is, is, is the one that's going to drop, not the enterprise user necessarily. Um, I, I, I think that's the one that went from 20 to 30% of their customer base. And so there's maybe a 10%, a little bit that might be um, ones to, to discard it a little sooner. But I think it's, uh, Zoom hasn't been standing still. 
they've got rooms. And so once things go back to uh, more centralized workplaces, rooms is gonna start really taking off. They've got Zoom phone. Uh, and they just recently, just this week, expanded that to a uh, number of countries. Plus the fact that their, uh, their APIs do provide those building blocks to being um, better integrated into more custom solutions for whatever verticals, exactly like Peter was talking earlier. So there's a lot of irons in the fire. Um, and so I personally don't put much weight in, into the fact that they're, you know, they might lose some of the consumer that really isn't their primary focus anyway. They're not a consumer. Yeah, I think they have a huge opportunity to displace phone and communication providers that are legacy, kind of like we talked about. Um, it, it's just crazy how uh, people just struggled to wrap their mind around how fast they've grown and how big of a company it is when they put it in that it's only video teleconferencing box. Um, awesome. Okay, so we're excited about Zoom and CrowdStrike, and um, I'm sure you will both cover those those earnings once they come out. Um, and we'll probably all be tweeting about it. So just look for any of that stuff to to hear about how how Zoom and CrowdStrike do. All right, let's get to questions. We got some good ones. You both have a lot of fans. Um, Sam at Sam Sharples MT said, super excited for this one. Doesn't have any questions, but he could listen to YouTube ramble about edge computing and learn a ton. Can't wait. I could too. Uh, I enjoy this. At Ernest Kaplan, uh, question for hyper growth. For me, a big challenge with uh, Hypergrowth tech is getting comfortable. The tech won't be displaced soon by something better um, because okay. you're paying for many, many years of growth in the future. So how do you assess that? Um, how do you think about that? Uh, it's ignoring scale. Um, I, I, I really don't put much weight in valuations in, in general. It's the last thing I look at um, and really don't play um, chart games at all about entry points. Once I'm interested in a company, I, I dive in. Um, and, but we're individual investors. I'm not signing up to Cloudflare for the next 10 years. If something better comes along, I'm going to take a deep look at it. And so I, I, I do, because I run such a, a concentrated portfolio, I, I feel like, you know, I got my ear to the ground as far as like Peter was saying, you know, following the engineering blogs, I do follow, uh, Cloudflare and Fastly. And so I, I'm kind of keeping up to date with where they're going and, you know, seeing the tip between them. And one of those two might emerge as, 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 a, as the stronger eventually. But um, in general, I stay with the market leader, the, the category killer or the uh, leader as far as being the lead disruptor like Datadog is being compared to Dynatracer or New Relic. Uh, I look for the leader and I'm going to stay with them until I see evidence that they are faltering. And that would, I feel like I would see that evidence in the execution. Yeah. And I would just add, I think it's really important, particularly with some of these, you know, companies that we follow that are what I'd call that, you know, the independent service providers who are often then, you know, the question investors often ask is, well, what's just, you know, one of the cloud vendors is just going to come along and, and kill that category. I, I, I still think that, you know, first talent is, is gravitating towards these companies. And as long as, you know, the companies that, that we're investing in are, are attracting the best talent, you can tell by just looking at, you know, the management team, um, that's going to define their success over time. Product development velocity, you know, it's important to make sure that, you know, they're continuing to crank out new innovations, new releases. You know, I mean, like I said, Datadog, you know, they put out like five new products a year, it seems, or Elastic does a major release every two months. 
I mean, and if you dig into that, it's like a lot of stuff, you know, so like that, that product development velocity is just going to keep them, you know, ahead of, uh, you know, these, these, these big cloud vendors uh, over time and the focus, you know, just, just staying in a niche uh, and getting constant feedback from their customers. Again, it's just going to allow them to continue that, that loop, that feedback loop, you know, that just drives the, the product development cycle. Yeah. That's the funny thing is you watch, uh, uh, you know, I was an investor in, in MongoDB last year and there was a lot of FUD around uh, Amazon entering the space. quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Amazon had actually been in the space for a number of years just trying to highlight it more. And the same with uh, Amazon versus uh, Elastic. You know, Amazon came up with uh, an open source version of, of uh, Elastic that they had forked. These Mongo and Elastic, we're not standing still. You know, they're not letting the cloud provider catch up. They're adding new features and products and solving things for their customers. And so it makes them hard to catch. So it really yeah, is going to take a new paradigm. Be... It's going to take a new paradigm to, 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 to upset them not a competitor. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for companies that they're focused on a few things and their livelihood depends on it versus uh, like a MongoDB or a Twilio versus uh, Amazon or Microsoft who might have database products or edge products. uh, But they've got most of their revenue comes from other things. They're just, you know, not going to focus on it as much. Um, and, and focus on those customers as much. So brings us to a, a next question. And, and Peter, um, maybe your experiences uh, in CTO type role would would be good to answer this question. What are, and this is from leader at leaderless underscore SF. Um, so I don't, I don't know if he's a fan of what's uh, the leadership in SF. Uh, what possibilities exist of acquisition from market leading edge players or of market leading edge players from the likes of Google, Microsoft, and Amazon? Basically just a question around what are the chances that, you know, a Cloudflare or a Fastly gets acquired? Wow. Um, I don't know that I have a good answer for that. Uh, you know, I think that acquisition is always kind of out there. I think that, um, you know, I, I guess where it's where a cloud vendor might find one of these solutions to be accretive, uh, they might be interested. Um, certainly, I mean, there's always a possibility and, you know, I'm sometimes surprised, you know, when you look at like some of the acquisitions Salesforce has done and I mean, God, even Datadog got a spike last week because there was speculation that they were going to get acquired. Um, so I, I'd say it's possible. I just, I guess as an investor, I just, I try not to I try not to play to that. You know, I, I would never make an investment because I think it's an acquisition play. Um, you know, and if it works out, like they get acquired for a price that, you know, is greater than their valuation. Great. Although it makes me sad because I usually like to hold these companies for, for many years. So in some ways I'm hoping a Fastly or a Cloudflare or any of the companies we're talking about actually don't get acquired. I don't know if yeah. that, that's not a very good answer. Maybe Muji has better insight into it, not, how he thinks about acquisitions or. I don't see it being a fit. Um, I, I, well, certainly I don't see, uh, any of those cloud providers being acquisitive in that way, as far as bolting on some new paradigm, that's not exactly a disruptor, but kind of sits alongside, um, cloud. Um, certainly they're going to take steps towards those companies. So, and AWS is already doing it. They have Lambda at edge. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't seem like a particularly compelling product and is extremely expensive from what I can tell. Um, but they're going to take baby steps to, 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 to be more like the edge companies rather than acquire the edge companies. But what they, what they are going to lack is the programmable network. 
And so they're never going to be on par with Cloudflare or Fastly. Um, and so, but you know, there, there's, there might be some use cases still where they've got existing customers and they just want, you know, a little more compute closer to customers or something like that. But I don't see them being acquired, at least not by, by cloud providers. Yeah. And I think a, you know, benefit of using an edge provider, uh, could be that you're not as reliant on your major cloud vendor. So their customers might prefer that they're standalone to AWS or Microsoft or whatever. So I think that's uh, probably not, you know, who knows, maybe they will, but not banking on them being acquired. And then also that competitive risk is maybe a little less than we think it is because there's a lot of good reasons that customers would want a different edge provider than their cloud provider. Um, a couple more questions we had from uh, at Robert Weir MD. Uh, what do you expect the impact of 5G on the edge computing market? If we don't have a good answer for 5G specifically, just maybe, <laughs> maybe. Oh, some, we have like, a good answer. <laughs> future, future use cases you might be excited about for, for edge. Well, I guess, yeah, I don't know. That's someone's two different questions, but um, I mean, first 5G, I think will be good for edge. I mean, because really, if you think about 5G, it's really just increasing the amount of bandwidth uh, between the cellular network, I'll say endpoint or entry point and the actual cellular device. You know, so it's, it's making the amount of, of data that can be transmitted from someone's phone, you know, into the entry point of the cellular network, you know, increase by 10x but it's not going to automatically increase the pipes between the edge of the network and the origin. Those are probably going to stay the same, or maybe they increase a little bit, but you know, it's like 10 or 20% a year. So when new applications roll out that make use of that higher bandwidth, it's going to become even more important that content and compute and processing can be performed at the edge so that the user doesn't experience some sort of, you know, extra latency because they're waiting for, you know, their, their content request or their processing to go all the way back to origin in order to get a response. So I, I think 5G will actually be good for, for edge. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I think it's going to actually hurt maybe CDNs a little more. Um, maybe not. Uh, maybe it's a little more neutral there. I completely agree with what Peter was saying. It's, it's, it's really lopsided. It's, it's increasing the bandwidth way at the beginning of the request. But what it's going to do is allow IoT to really explode. You know, it's the key that's going to unlock the potential of having way more devices be transmitting to the ISP. And then once it's at the ISP, then it, you know, it's going to be on the regular backbones of the internet. Um, so, it's not, and it's not all the way to origin. So I, I think it's, a, it's, it's absolutely a positive for edge networks in that something needs to be handling that, traf that increase in traffic on one end of the, of the global communication spectrum. It can be handling it much closer to, to it and uh, greatly reducing the amount of bandwidth that uh, is needed to the origin servers. You know, th those don't have to scale up to the same degree that 5G is scaling the uh, number of requests. 
Awesome. Okay. We are down to our last two questions and they both are related to Agora. Uh, ticker symbol is API. I do not follow this company very closely and I'm not sure if either of you two I do, do either. Okay, good. So from at H Fisai, I'm sorry if I totally butchered that and announced and, and said it wrong. Uh, is Agora, and this is for both of you, is Agora considered an edge play? I've seen it being compared to Twilio, Fastly, uh, Cloudflare, and even Zoom. Which one would be a fair comparison, if any? All of the above. I'll answer that one since Peter's drinking. Uh, I don't know if you know. Uh, Water. I have an opinion. Drinking, I have an opinion, but go ahead, Mucci. I, I uh, in my latest Edge Network write-up where I, I, I kind of cover some of the basics of what Edge Network is and talk about some of the way the traffic flows that we were just discussing with 5G um, with some really awesome hand-drawn graphics. I hope everyone liked those. Those are new to my, my, my blog style. Um, I do briefly mention uh, Agora. I consider them a specialty edge network. And so a, a little akin to a Zscaler. So Zscaler is a specialty network for uh, cybersecurity point-to-point -point, um, traffic uh, encryption. And Agora is all about uh, real-time streaming and uh, uh, video and audio streaming. Um, however, they're a little like all the companies you just mentioned. So I do equate them to something like uh, Twilio in that they are a building block company. They are a set of APIs you can use to embed, like Zoom, embed uh, uh, video capabilities, but also audio capabilities into your products directly. And then they have built an edge network behind it to serve up that content. And so they are uh, trying to take that away a little bit from Fastly, I think in particular is maybe a little more of a um, competitor because Fastly is, and, um, and Limelight are both a little more video focused than Cloudflare. But um, they are uh, interesting play and I'm, I, I've been researching them and, and might write them up further and may actually buy them. My one hesitation is that they're domiciled in China and I am very hesitant to um, uh, believe the numbers coming out of uh, Chinese domiciled companies. So that's my one hesitation. Yeah, Otherwise, I, would, uh, I would echo what Muji said. I think, I mean, they're interesting in that, you know, they, they essentially have, I mean, if you look at the architecture and the, 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 the footprint, I mean, they're essentially, they have the equivalent of POPs, you know, data center presences all across, you know, the globe. And they currently leverage those to facilitate, you know, web RTC connections, basically video, uh, voice, and real-time chat. And, um, and so in, I guess in that context, you could say, okay, well, those services are things that that Zoom does or enables, and that's all done through APIs. And, and of course, Zoom enables video teleconferencing through APIs. So you could say, well, Agora could compete with Zoom in that context. Uh, Twilio does the same thing for voice and video. Of course, Twilio also has you know SMS, so it has ties into the actual physical networks, and they do email too. So you know the the, the product offering is a little broader with, with Twilio. And then, and then I think the interesting comparison is, yeah, what Muji was talking about with, with the edge networks with Fastly and, and Cloudflare because the, the piping is the same. It's just that they're focusing on maybe a different set of use cases. And I think what is going to be fascinating is if we start to see 
you know, more of these companies that essentially build these kind of networks of, of compute, uh, you know, presence, and then leverage them for, for different use cases, you know, and, and in the Gore's case, it's, it's obviously being applied to video and voice. But I, I, with all that said, I wouldn't necessarily immediately jump to the conclusion that Agora is going to be a big competitor for any of those companies we just mentioned. I just think that they're, you know, taking a different slice of the pie. Um, and it's, I think it's just interesting looking at how the market's evolving. And I agree with Muji, like I will take a look at Agora at some point. I, I tend to shy away a little bit from brand new IPOs, at least from an investment point of view. And then, um, you know, and, and may cover them, you know, after a couple of quarters. Yeah, my, my two hesitations are, again, they're a specialty edge network. I, I, I like the more generalized plays. So Cloudflare and Fastly yeah. are able to build things on their own platform, exactly like Cloudflare for Teams. They built it on their own platform and can take and create new product lines from it. But also their customers are going to be doing the same thing, you know, in specialized cases. But people are going to be building products on those edge networks. That's not... That's also going to happen with uh, um, Agora, but it's it's very uh, specialized in terms of um, video and audio delivery. Um, but it's that it's the, that one little hitch that they're a Chinese-based company. There's there's headquarters in Silicon Valley and China, but their their primary um, success right now is driven from uh, Southeast Asia. In particular, I think it's the rise in e-commerce. There's a lot of e-commerce that has a live video interaction. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I guess I'd equate it to the QVC style of selling uh, in America where they are showcasing a product and that is, uh, gives people confidence to buy. So I think they're having a lot of success right now with that particular model. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think like, like Peter said, it's, let's wait and see what else they've got under their sleeves. Yeah, no, then that is a good, important distinction from Fastly and Cloudflare because Agora is not putting up a programmable environment. I can't take code in JavaScript code, WebAssembly code, whatever that is, and upload it to Agora's environment and run it there. And that's obviously what Fastly and Cloudflare are enabling, or you know, a programmable network. You know, they're offering a service exposed through APIs that's targeted at video and voice and, and chat. So in, in that regard, it is distinct from the edge networks. Maybe something they decide to do in the future, but I mean they're still pretty small, so and that maybe that would probably be several years out. Awesome. All right, we're winding down. Uh, thank you both for your time, and we went way longer than I told either of you we were going to go. So you've been <laughs> awesome sports. Uh, follow these two at Stack Investing and at Hypergrowth on Twitter. And then there's links to both of their websites. We'll provide those in the show notes as well. I'll put you both on the spot one more time with another question I didn't prepare you for. And these are not investment recommendations. You two both own Fastly and Cloudflare. Tomorrow, you have to sell them and you have to buy something else. Uh, what do you buy tomorrow if, uh, if you had to sell Fastly and Cloudflare? Ooh. <laughs> well, my pitch was going to be for Elastic. I think Elastic's going to have an interesting trajectory coming out of 2020 into 21. If they can get back to the growth that they experienced in Q1, I think they're going to see a big multiple expansion in 21. I mean, they're sitting at what a, a forward EV over sales of 12 right now. You know, and yet I think going into 2021, their revenue could be growing back at 40 to 50% a year. Um, so 
I'm bullish on elastic for the long term. Um, and I guess, you know, if I were to buy something tomorrow, I think that would be, and I could buy more fast layer cloudflare. <laughs> I think that would be my answer. Uh, can I make it an existing company? Because I would just probably turn around and put it in Zoom and CrowdStrike. Those are the two that have my Yeah, name. I mean, that's fair. Um, as far as ones on my watch list, uh, C Limited that I already mentioned, uh, Agora is also on my watch list. Um, Melly, which I have owned in the past, but is showing remarkable strength. Um, all, the, all those e-commerce platforms like Shopify are doing extremely well. Shopify, Etsy, C Limited, uh, is, is a part of C Limited and um, a part of um, Melly are, are just all knocking it out of the park right now. So um, those are all pretty interesting. How long the last is the question, but I, I do think it's a paradigm shift with e-commerce. So I'm starting to get out of my boundaries of uh, pick and shovels plays maybe and, and start exploring um, in particular, C Limited just uh, had earnings yesterday that were really strong, or today that were really strong. So, may establish a position there. Um, so, thanks both of you again. Um, Want to leave this open if if either of you have any last things to say, things to share with the audience, anything, any you want to tell people where to find you. We've we've shared it a couple times, but um, thank you both for your time. I appreciate this, and and this is fun. I think this is the first time you two have actually talked to each other uh, no, via correct. video. So that's pretty yeah, cool. Video. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. that was fun. Yeah, super fun, Austin. Uh, it was it, it ending on an interesting note. That's that's kind of where I've been. My thoughts have been lately is that I've been so focused on the picks and shovels plays over the past year. That's where all the hyper growth has been. But the pandemic has really brought hyper growth to a lot of different industries. Obviously, impacted a lot negatively. But I was already in a in a mind space, and and my portfolio was always towards these SaaS providers exactly because of how recession proof I felt they truly were. They were the building blocks of other companies and they're saving those up, they're saving them money and, and giving them a new way of doing things like cybersecurity that they didn't have before. And so these weren't gonna be easily replaced. Um, so it's just interesting to watch um, a lot of other industries really catch these same wins. And so now I'm kind of expanding my uh, horizons a little bit and starting to look beyond the pick and shovels. But thanks, thanks for having us, super fun. Yeah, I would agree. That was a lot of fun. It was great meeting you in person, Muji. Thank you, Austin, for sponsoring this. And, you know, certainly a shout out to Seven Investing. I think it's great service. And, uh, yeah, really appreciate you just making the effort to kind of get people like us together to share knowledge with, you know, the investment community. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just happy that, uh, you know, Muji and I can can help other investors, you know, navigate kind of what can be a pretty difficult market and, and help them, you know, make informed decisions relative to, uh, you know, consideration for these software companies. So just appreciate you getting us together and I suppose getting the word out. Well said. Yeah. And that's what I want to end on is just to both of you. Um, I think you two are part of why now is a better time than ever before to be an investor because people have access to great experts in, in fields that you two are sharing your information uh, for free out there. So thanks for your time and thanks for both of you for the time that you put into uh, both of your, your writing. Um, so let's end on that. Um, thanks everyone for joining and uh, we'll catch you next time.
A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. And before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult with a financial or tax professional.